Welcome to Intuitive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Kirsten Ackerman, the Intuitive RD. I'm a non-diet registered dietitian and intuitive eating coach. My mission is to help women recover from diet culture and heal their relationship to food and body. Follow along as I speak with leading professionals in the field and explore concepts of intuitive eating, health at every size, and body liberation. Hey guys, welcome to episode 25. For the episode this week, I'm chatting with Dr. Jennifer Gaudiani of the Gaudiani Clinic. And we're chatting about eating disorders and how they're often missed in diagnosis in our current healthcare system. And we talk about why exactly that is. Uh, We also talk a lot about uh, how eating disorders can occur in all sorts of body sizes and body types. But since there's a lot of weight bias in the healthcare system and with physicians, um, this can lead to those in larger bodies oftentimes not getting that diagnosis of an eating disorder and therefore suffering for a longer period of time. Um, so we really, really dig into all of the inner workings of the healthcare system and how, um, what role you can play to kind of protect yourself against this system. Um, and Jennifer does a really great job of being compassionate about this subject, um, but also providing a lot of really great guidance. Uh, I'm going to link to where you can find Jennifer in the show notes below um, because she offers a lot of really great resources too. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Before we dive into it, I just wanted to give a quick reminder um, that I am hosting an intuitive eating webinar in February. So you can sign up for that on my website, which is theintuitive-rd.com. And just go to the webinar section to sign up. Um, it's only $15. You get a recording of the session. So if you can't make the live event, you'll get a recording right to your email that you can replay anytime you want. Uh, so definitely check that out. Also, if you haven't already taken a moment to leave me a review or a rating on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate you doing that. Um, so just you know, click on the stars or write a, f- a little blurb about what you're thinking of the podcast so far. All right, guys, let's dive into my conversation with Jennifer. All right, Dr. G, we are ready to go. So I am, I'm so excited to have you here. Um, I'd love for you to just give an introduction to yourself, you know, what you do and and kind of your background and what inspired you to get into this realm so all of my listeners can get to know you a bit. Thanks, Kirsten. I'm so happy to join you today. So I'm an internal medicine physician who specializes in eating disorders. I've been in the field for about a decade and was lucky enough to start my work in the field in a hospital program where I helped do medical stabilization for critically ill adults with anorexia nervosa. But in 2016, I took a deep breath, I took a big leap, and I started my own outpatient medical practice here in Denver, Colorado, where I now see people of all ages, all body shapes and sizes, and all relationships with food and body from around the country, because I'm lucky enough to be 
licensed in about half the states of the US, so I can follow patients by telemedicine. I have an amazing team here in Denver, as well as a partner internist who's amazing. And my whole goal now is to help take care of people within the context of their lives, to help them medically get a, a better experience with recovery through improving their medical care, both diagnostically and therapeutically, working in a multidisciplinary way. And I am a passionate fan of the health at every size and intuitive eating model. That's awesome. How were you like exposed to that model? Like, was it through schooling or how is that? How did that happen? No, I got so lucky. And as many doctors have found, I basically had zero training in eating disorders throughout med school and residency or even my early career as an internist. I got lucky enough to end up in that hospital program and learning about eating disorders having a passion for it because my sister had an eating disorder and I have many dear ones in my life who've been affected. But then it really wasn't until I was an outpatient doctor that the whole world of social justice and health at every size and weight inclusive care came to my attention. And as soon as I was lucky enough to learn from amazing teachers like Carmen Cool and Hilary Knavey and Deb Burghardt and Desiree Attaway and her social justice work, I was hooked. Yeah. Oh, that is, that is so cool how things come to us in that way for such an awesome purpose. I mean, I think you're, you're doing amazing things. So it's really cool to see. Um, I would love to get your perspective on basically just like you know, eating disorders in our current culture and um, maybe some of the ways that they're being underdiagnosed or kind of missed altogether and, and kind of just your thoughts on that and why you think that's, that is the way it is. Whew, small questions. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, I think, first of all, it's worth my saying very soberly that I feel that physicians are an oppressor class to people with eating disorders, and for sure to individuals with and without eating disorders who are in larger bodies. And, and in part that's because physicians get so little training, and in part it's because the medical system prevents us from being the kind of listeners and supporters that most of us went into medicine to be. But a lot of it is because of our toxic society and my experience now, having done this work for 10 years and having been outpatient for two and a half, is that medicine has it all wrong when it comes to people in their bodies. There are so many individuals who are made invisible by the Western medical experience because they don't fit into even the, the physician bias of what someone with an eating disorder, quote unquote, should look like. The vast majority of people with eating disorders are not visibly emaciated. The vast majority. And those patients are missed in the doctor's office, either because they don't even have enough time to, to talk about it, or because physician internalized size stigma and bias 
just makes them missed. I see so many patients who describe that they've come into their doctor's office and they brave up the courage to say, you know, I've got a really unhealthy relationship with food and I think I may have disordered eating or an eating disorder only for the doctor to totally invalidate them and say, you don't look like you have an eating disorder or no, you know, actually you should be restricting calories to dot, 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 change your weight. I mean, it, it is such an uphill battle for my beautiful patients to be dealing with. So all I can say is the society is really, really messed up right now. Medicine is not yet for the most part, a helper. It is a harmer, but it's really the brilliant dietitians and therapists on the front lines who are practicing intuitive eating, who are teaching their clients about it, who are helping educate their families. And it's, you know, rare physicians like my partner and I are lucky enough to be who get to join in and help make sure it's done right. Oh, Yes. Oh my gosh. I have so much I want to say to that. that <laughs> that's so, so exciting. Um, and also so horrifying kind of where we're currently at, but it, it just like makes you excited to like take action and do something about it. Um, once you learn about all of this stuff, um, I guess to throw another not so little question at you, um, you know, so you're talking about how, you know, the vast majority of people with e eating disorders are not in these super emaciated bodies. And I want to break that down a little bit for my listeners, you know, like, why, why is that? And I guess where I'm going with that is what is, you know, where does weight science and, you know, body, natural body diversity come into that? And why aren't all people who have, have eating disorders in a really emaciated body? Absolutely. This really gets to the heart of what's so much fun about being an internist and an eating disorder specialist, because I can really bring the science of how our bodies were adapted through evolution to protect us from starvation to share with my patients what's going on in their bodies. So what I use is the trope of the cave person brain, which is the part of our brain that we don't have any conscious control over, but that has been evolved over the millennia to run us as a mammal and to care for us as a mammal one of the things that the human brain exquisitely evolved to deal with was starvation because that's the circumstance that faced the vast majority of our ancestors over the vast majority of human history. So when we starve, and by starve, all I mean is take in inadequate energy to meet our body's needs. Our cave person brain doesn't know we're on a diet or a cleanse or a, a whole whatever. All it knows is that we're not getting the energy we need. And it says, oh, I'll help you, my human mammal. I can see that you might be starving. Let me make sure that you don't get injured by this. So it slows our metabolism. It cools our body temperature. It may slow our heart rate slow the digestion so that when you do eat again, you feel more bloated and full, or um, you might have constipation because, you know, normal bowel function is not necessary for survival. It slows our reproductive systems and in some cases shuts them off entirely in both sexes. 
so that calories aren't wasted on sex drive or on procreation or even on having periods and wasting menstrual blood. All of these shifts are possible ways that each of our cave person brains might respond to starvation. But of course, we're all designed differently. So one person's medical manifestations of malnutrition might be quite different from another person's. For the vast majority of people, though, one of the things the brain tries to do is to defend the body weight. So it's going to do everything it possibly can to keep the body weight stable. And when calories are available again, it's going to try to make that body weight go up a little bit more because you never know when the next famine's going to hit. If there's been one, the cave person brain rightly thinks there may well be another. So this is why diet cycling results in higher and higher body weights, perhaps further and further away from someone's natural set point range. And ultimately, we're just all built differently. There are some people who are going to be built more slightly and some people who are going to be built curvy and some people who are just going to be built big. That's okay. And as you so beautifully speak of in your podcasts, this is what intuitive eating and health at every size honors. Where, we, where, where I really interact with patients is where at any body shape and size, their disordered eating or eating disorder has caused medical problems that get in the way of normalizing that relationship with food. And so I love helping them with that. On the other side of things, when patients, for instance, have both binge eating disorder and are in larger bodies, because of course the two are not synonymous, Mm -hmm. and patients do have medical complications that have arisen related to weight gain, I never, ever focus on the weight. I never check the weight. It's not something I focus on, just like you, Kirsten. And instead, we focus on delicious food, eaten for energy and for joy, having a great team who can help you if intuitive eating feels way beyond the ability uh, that, that the patient starts with. And what I see is that it works medically. I think this is one of the most exciting things is that you know, where haze and, and intuitive eating are, makes so much sense psychologically, so much sense from a social justice perspective, so much sense psychologically and dietarily. The big question mark was always, how do they do medically? And although I have not published yet and need to on this specific topic, the, the short answer is this works medically regardless of what happens to somebody's body size, their diabetes radically improves eating from a haze perspective and moving from a haze perspective. Their sleep apnea improves. Their their ability to get around the world and play with their kids and be independent physically, all of those things get better. So it works and it has to be where the field goes. And I think that that last point there is really such a huge, powerful thing because I think that's the sticking point. When you talk to somebody who hasn't really dug into this work, it's like, well, what about health? And oh, oh, it sounds really nice, health at every size, intuitive eating, listening to your body. But like, are we just all, are we just throwing health out the window and now everyone's going to, you know, continuously gain weight forever and, you know, whatever, just really not take care of themselves. 
but it's it's funny because it's the opposite is true. Right? That's, that's just exactly the case. And you know, I I join the folks at the front lines of this field in having serious qualms increasingly about the word health because it has been stolen by the diet industry to be a short presently acceptable code word for the creation or goal of having a body that is light-skinned young cis hetero able and thin and and so when i talk to my patients and they ask me about health. They say, I, I just want to be healthy, Dr. G. Mm-hmm. I encourage them to slow down and, and really tell me what they mean by that word because I want our health goals to be guided from what they want to be doing with their body and what they want to be able to uh, do in the world and how they want their relationship with food to, to feel in their body. Um, but you're absolutely right. From a technical Western medical perspective, health at every size, from my perspective, is the only thing that works. Intuitive eating is the only way forward. Because what we know, both anecdotally and from studies, are that diets fail. So there has to be another way. And my experience now clinically is that this is a way that absolutely works and is sustainable. Oh, thank you. That's awesome. So awesome to hear. Um, So what I'd like to ask you now is something that I kind of like to direct towards, you know, listeners who are hearing this conversation and wondering how they can approach, you know, their own, like, I guess, uh, interactions with doctors. And I'd just be interested to hear your thoughts on this as a doctor. Um, So where, where I'm really getting with this is how can somebody in a larger body, um, advocate for themselves when they go to the doctor or what can they do um, to really make sure that they're getting the care that they deserve? This is a serious question. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately I don't have a good answer to it, but I have some thoughts to share. Please. Yeah. First of all, there is power in the room when someone goes to the doctor, physicians and medical providers hold an extraordinary amount of power. So to ask someone in the, that, that's lower down in a power dynamic to advocate for themselves and to make requests of power is asking them something that may be unsafe, it may be impossible, it's not fair to put it on the patient, and yet that's what we're left with. So, you know, in advance, if patients can call up offices and say, by any chance, you know, do you have a weight inclusive treatment policy or looking at the website or, you know, looking at whether this physician has any relationship with diet culture or whether they seem, if not expert in eating disorders and health at every size, does the physician seem to have curiosity and openness about a conversation? Any patient can refuse to be weighed. The only time someone needs to be weighed is to prepare for a medical procedure where their actual weight impacts the dosage of medication or perhaps um, uh, radiation. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the weight is not needed. And even for Medicare, Medicaid um, uh, participants for whom so-called the weight is required, it is sufficient to say patient declined being weighed. 
that actually satisfies the insurance requirement for that visit. Um, but, you know, I think beyond trying to do some research in advance, and if the person feels brave enough advocating for, please don't discuss my body, please don't discuss my weight, I'm here for my sore throat. Mm-hmm. If they do have a doctor who's curious, um, I just finished writing my first book and patients can read it and they can also bring it to their provider if they're curious. And this is the way in which good information gets shared. Yes. I'm so excited about that. Can you share the title and where people can find that? Absolutely. The book is called Sick Enough, A Guide to the Medical Complications of Eating Disorders. It's published by Routledge and it's available on Amazon. I'm thinking of just like sending it to my primary care doctor because <laughs> oh. um, he's like, he's a great guy. I love him, but you know, that's the thing. Like there's so many good, awesome people out there and providers and healthcare professionals that don't know this stuff yet. And you know, we bringing it to them is it's what we can do, you know? Right. I didn't know this stuff, yeah. but it's, it's having the privilege of living in a state of curiosity and humility and a desire to learn more, to learn where I've done wrong or done harm and try to do it better. That's the kind of doctor that I hope the majority of your listeners will be able to find. Yeah, absolutely. I'm also going to link below. Um, I know the um, ASDA um, has, you know, on their website, some providers that are listed there, but it can be hard to find um, providers that are actually listed, um, but it's worth a shot. So I'll definitely list that below. Um, That's great. As does a terrific organization. Yes. Yes. Um, so I'd love Dr. G for you to just kind of sum up something for, for the listeners right now, whether it's somebody that's sitting there, you know, that does say like, Hey, maybe, maybe I do have an eating disorder, even though I'm in a larger body or something like that. You know, they're sitting there and really this message is hitting home with them. What would your advice be for that person right now? Well, you know, Kirsten, my whole book was called sick enough because so many people with eating disorders fundamentally believe they're not sick enough to make a change, seek a team, get better, do something differently. And so I guess I would sum up by saying that many people either compare themselves to their sickest day or they compare themselves to an image that they see on the internet and they end up feeling crestfallen that they're just not sick enough to make change. And instead, I would invite your listeners to compare their present day relationship with their food and body with what they think of as them living in their truest values. So they might say, well, in my heart of hearts, I would love to be able to get up, not really think anything negative about my body, have a good breakfast, get ready, go off about my day, enjoy the sunshine, be physically able to do what I'm able to do in this body that I have. Um, nourish myself throughout the day, rest when it's time to rest, and be present and engaged, and not base my sense of worth around my size or my shape of my body. Then really evaluate how am I acting now compared with that, and use the gap 
between now and that individualized, values-driven sort of future fantasy to know that there is work to do. It's not work on changing yourself. It's so key. I never locate the problem of the eating disorder within my patients' bodies. I locate the problem within our toxic society of diet culture and commercial consumerism. But it's that gap that marks the need for change and the worthiness to have a better relationship. That is so helpful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that wisdom. I think that that's really going to hit home for a lot of people. Um, I, I'm actually just going to ask you out of curiosity, because you mentioned you see a lot of patients in also, you know, states across the U.S. Um, is there, what would somebody have to do to become a patient of yours? Like, is there certain criteria they need to be diagnosed or something like that? Or how does that process look? No, I'm so delighted that I don't care about diagnoses. We are so not a DSM-5 group. Um, you know, it's been just such a delight to start this clinic, which is the only internal medicine clinic in the United States, exclusively full-time dedicated to the care of people with eating disorders in the outpatient setting um, from a medical perspective. And so we get to really think outside the box. We get to kind of storm the patriarchy on this one and think about care and about goals of care and about rates of recovery in a way that's unfettered from prior graphs and charts um, while using the best evidence-based medicine we possibly can and yet also using our heart and our intuition and our communication skills. So people who are interested can go to the website, which is www dot gaudianiclinic.com which is tough it gets easier <laughs> that's why i go by dr g but it's a-u-d-i-a-n-i <laughs> clinic.com in the frequently asked questions area there's all about the finances of the clinic there's all about you know who can benefit and how the intake process works folks can have a phone call I've got this amazing kick-ass staff and they can do an intake. And if it seems like it would be a good fit, they fly out to Denver for their initial two-hour in-person comprehensive assessment with either me or with Dr. Rosen. And then they decide whether they'd like to join as a member and receive our care for a year. And we move forward from there. That is so awesome. And I'm going to link below to your site so people can find it if they're interested. Um, I'm just, I'm so excited that we, we had this conversation. I think that it's going to be really, really impactful for, for everyone to hear. So thank you again so much for coming. Oh, Kirsten, thank you so much for having me and thanks for all you do. Of all right, guys, that is a wrap on this week's episode with Dr. Jennifer Gaudiani. As I mentioned, I'm going to link below with some places you can find her and all the resources that she has to offer, uh, so definitely check that out. You can also find her on Instagram, which I'll link below as well. I believe it's the Gaudiani Clinic, um, so check her out there as well. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, if you have a moment to leave a rating or review on iTunes uh, for the podcast, I would greatly appreciate that. And... Otherwise, have an awesome week, and I will talk to you guys soon.